0: Edward Sree and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. I'll never forget the first time kneeling at Calvary. I was on pilgrimage as a graduate student in the Holy Land, and we had a chance to go to the Church of the Holy Sepulcher in Jerusalem, which is built over the place where Jesus died. And there I was with hundreds of other pilgrims in this long line, waiting for 90 minutes, and finally, it was my turn to go to the very spot of Jesus' death. And it was so moving to be here. I heard this is where it all happened. This is the climax of all of salvation history. This is where Jesus died for our sins. And I, I remember afterwards thinking about how I was just one of thousands of other pilgrims that day that went to remember where Jesus died. And really, I was just one of millions of people throughout the century that made great sacrifices to go to remember the place where Jesus died there in Jerusalem. And I I remember wondering, wow, why, why do people remember this one man's death? You know, some people might say, well, it's because Jesus was the Messiah. That's why they remember his death. But I knew from my studies that there were many other people around the time of Jesus who claimed to be a messiah. In a generation or two before and after the life of Christ, there were almost a dozen other uh, messiah figures, people that uh, claimed to be a king, took up some kind of royal status, led a movement, started to rebel against Rome. And and we could read about this with people like Judas the Galilean in Jesus' childhood around the time of his birth. He led a tax revolt in Galilee. And there was a man about a generation and a half after Jesus named Simon Ben-Cosiba, uh, uh, who uh, had the some of the leaders in Jerusalem say, here at last is the Messiah. So there were, there were other people who claimed to be Messiah. But what's fascinating is just from a purely historical perspective, set your faith aside for a moment, and this is just fascinating just from a historical perspective, is this. Uh, in, in practically every other case, when the leader of these Messianic movements died, the Romans you know, would track them down and, and, and kill them. When, when the leader died, the, the movement died. And, and, and then the, the movement was went, disappeared into the past. But with Jesus, it's very different. With Jesus, when he dies, his movement doesn't fade away. It takes off like never before. It starts growing exponentially. What makes Jesus' death different from all of these other would-be Messiahs? As we know, here we are at the end of the Easter season. It's because Jesus' death isn't the end of the story. We know that he rose from the dead. And my friends, as we are ending the Easter season, we are approaching Pentecost Sunday when the church starts taking off like never before. 3,000 people baptized in a single day. And then the apostles start spreading their message to the rest of the world. I think it's fun to go back at this time of season and remember where we've been as we reach the climax of the covenant in salvation history. And I'm going to turn to one passage that gets us right into the heart of the story. It's Mark chapter 16, where we learn about three big things that are very important for our lives as Christians today. We learn about the resurrection. We learn about the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father, and most importantly, our mission as Christians today. And I want to talk about that in these days. Here, leading up to the end of the Easter season, this first novena, these days between Ascension Thursday and the descent of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday. Let's reflect on these three things here in Mark's Gospel, chapter 16. So, you ready? I'm just going to read a couple verses for you here in Mark 16, verses 1 through 3, as we first look at the power of the resurrection. I want to remember the power of the resurrection. Here's the story. And when the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint the body of Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the door of the tomb? Now, that's the line I want to reflect on here. The women, as you know the story, they got up early in the morning. They want to go anoint the body. And they're concerned about one major thing. They're worried about who will roll away the stone. And we know the story. Eventually, they get there and they see the stone is already rolled away. And they see an angel there. And the angel tells them that Jesus has risen from the dead. But let's just just take a look at this here. You know, a lot of people in our modern secular world may may be very skeptical, skeptical about the idea of resurrection. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Come on, things like that don't really happen. This is These are just stories, these resurrection accounts from the Gospels. These are just legends, myths made up by the early Christians. Surely nothing like this could have happened. But I want to just take a look at the story. And first thing I would notice is the uh, the women's question, who would roll away the stone? That reflects a historic reality that we have to take into consideration. And that is that when uh, someone was buried, there would have been this large, massive disc-shaped uh, uh, stone that would have been rolled over the tomb. It would have taken many, many people to, to move that stone away the the tomb would have been sealed and then guarded by Roman soldiers, and, and the Roman soldiers would have been they, they they could have they could have suffered greatly if they fell asleep on duty on something like this. They they might have even been killed for something like this. Uh, and so, is it likely? that the apostles would have stolen the body in that kind of a situation? Because that's what many people say, oh yeah, the apostles, they just stole the body and then they just made up these stories uh, about Jesus rising from the dead. But let's, again, think about that. Let's talk about the apostles for a second. You tell me, uh, what kind of state of mind were the apostles in just 48 hours before Easter Sunday? Yeah, you know what happened, right? On Holy Thursday night, they uh, all uh, run away from Jesus and abandoned him in the Garden of Gethsemane. All but one, of them are 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 hiding and on Good Friday and not with him at the cross. Only John, the beloved disciple, is there. Uh, and then we know that they're they're hiding in the upper room. They're they're behind closed doors, just so scared that the the Roman authorities might go after them next. Uh, and so, do we really think that? these are the kind of men that suddenly out of nowhere mustered up all this courage to go take on these Roman soldiers in the middle of the night and uh, push away this massive stone and then haul the body away? I mean, is that possible? I, I guess it's possible, but it doesn't seem very likely that that would be the case. Uh, but I think another interesting point to highlight here is that uh, the, the theory that the apostles stole the body and then made up these stories is, you know, these aren't the kind of stories that you would make up if you were trying to uh, score a lot of points in the ancient Jewish Greco-Roman world. You see, first of all, the pagans weren't expecting anything like this, the idea of resurrection from the dead. Uh, many many people in the Greco-Roman world did not think resurrection was possible, uh, and, and there were many that didn't even think it was desirable. If you were coming from the Platonic tradition, uh, they, they they held that the body was something negative, and you wanted your soul to be liberated from from the body. So the idea of resurrection isn't something that people would look forward to. They wouldn't get excited about. So when Paul, for example, goes and preaches in Athens, St. Paul it captivates their attention. He gets them all excited about the gospel message until he mentions the idea of resurrection. And at that, they all go, resurrection? Oh, that's what are you talking about? And they they abandon Paul over this. And so uh, the early Christians, if they were trying to win points and, you know, win people over, these aren't the kind of stories that, that, that would have uh, uh, built bridges with the pagan world, the idea of resurrection from the dead. Uh, and it certainly wasn't also something that the Jews were expecting. The Jews did not believe that the Messiah was going to die and rise from the dead. Uh, They believed in resurrection, but they believed in what we call general resurrection. They believed that all the righteous, faithful Jews uh, would, would rise from the dead together as a collective group on the last day. They believed in general resurrection, not the idea that an individual would rise from the dead all on their own. So once again, if the apostles wanted to make up some story... These weren't the kind of stories that were going to really relate to people's hopes and expectations, either in the Jewish world or the pa- pagan Gentile world around them. Another fascinating point is if you look at the gospel stories, did you notice that there's no mention of prophecy coming to fulfillment? But this is just fascinating because the rest of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are constantly referring back to Old Testament prophecies and showing Jesus did this to fulfill this prophecy. And sometimes I'll even quote the prophecy for you right there to show you very clearly Christ is fulfilling Jewish scriptures, the, the Jewish scriptures and their prophecies. But when it comes to the resurrection You just don't see this, right? You Take Matthew's gospel, for example. Matthew is all over the place in the opening of his account of Jesus' birth, saying Jesus was born in in Bethlehem because he's fulfilling the prophecy of Micah 5, and he went to Egypt and came back uh, and was raised in Nazareth to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah 11. So there's all these prophecies constantly coming to fulfillment. If the gospel writers were just inventing the story about the resurrection from the dead— Uh, Don't you think they would try to make some connection to some prophecies of the Old Testament to try to string up something? Oh, maybe we can find this story here and we'll make this kind of connection uh, to to show that Jesus was risen from the dead and that's all been part of God's plan from the beginning. They don't do that. These gospel stories don't They don't. They don't read like stories that were invented and fabricated and really crafted. Like they were cooking the books to show prophecy coming to fulfillment. No, they they tell they they sound like ordinary eyewitness accounts. Just just stating facts. Just straightforward. Rapid. Right to the point. Uh, You know. One last point here is to consider how in the resurrection accounts, who were the first witnesses to Jesus rising from the dead? Who were the first witnesses to the empty tomb? It's it's these women. Now, sadly. In the first century Jewish world, women were not considered credible witnesses. Uh, I know things are very different today, but uh, but we don't have to understand this historically. uh, That in the first century world of 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 the of the Jewish people, that the women were not considered credible witnesses, and and so the fact that all gospel writers mention this point of the women going to the tomb, uh, Mary Magdalene is the first. To, uh, the, that's what Mark's gospel comes and shows us, John as well, uh, that Mary Magdalene was the first to, to see the risen Christ. Uh, if you were trying to invent a story or just making this this the story up, you wouldn't have put women as witnesses in the first century Jewish world. Today would not be a problem, but back then, that, that's not something they would have done. So these stories don't sound like the kind of stories you'd make up. Secondly, uh, it doesn't seem likely that the apostles would have gone in, made a raid on the tomb, and the, the people who were just so cowardly, just a, a, a day or two before, muster up all this courage to take on Roman soldiers, roll away the stone, haul away the body doesn't seem very likely. So just a little apologetics there, helping us understand the the, the credibility of the resurrection, that the resurrection accounts uh, actually have more weight than maybe sometimes are, are given in our modern world today. But let's turn to something that happens next. In Mark chapter 15, or chapter 16, verse 19, we here read about the ascension of jesus christ it tells us that the lord jesus after he had spoken to the to the disciples was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of god So I want to consider this mystery of the ascension. What does this mean that Jesus was taken up and he sits at the right hand of God, the mystery of the ascension? Now, it would be a mistake to think of the ascension as the temporary absence of Jesus from this world. Okay, Jesus goes up to heaven and he is no longer involved in this world anymore. He's just way up there in heaven. What we want to see is that Heaven ultimately is a person. As Pope Benedict once said, Jesus himself is what we call heaven. <laughs> and, and so we go to heaven to the extent that we go to Jesus and enter more deeply in union with him, even here on earth. You know, Jesus promised to remain with us always even to the end of this age. That's what Matthew's account tells us at the end of Matthew's gospel. Jesus says, I will be with you always, even into the end of the age. And he remains with us through the church, through the sacraments, through his word in scripture, through, through our encounter with him in the poor that we're called to take care of, uh, and most especially in the Eucharist. But this Jesus abides within us. His spirit dwells in our hearts, the spirit we remember that was given on Pentecost Sunday. That spirit dwells within us. And the deeper we go in relationship with Jesus, the more we bring heaven here on earth. I think that's the power of the mystery of the ascension here because Mark's gospel is the only gospel that gives us this fascinating detail about the ascension. The fact that where did Jesus go? He went to sit at the right Hand of God. Now, what does that really mean? Now, is God right-handed? No, it's just that in in the ancient world they use this as a powerful symbol because most people are right-handed. So, the right hand in the ancient Jewish world was a symbol of power, a symbol of strength, a symbol of authority. And here the resurrected Jesus goes to sit at the right hand of the Father, showing he is the true king over heaven and earth. He really reigns over sin, over death, over suffering. And the idea is... The more we grow closer to Jesus, the more we allow him to reign in our hearts as the true king, the true Lord in our hearts, the more we can bring his love into the world, the more we can bring heaven on earth. Jesus promised to be with us. We just want to be with him so that his life radiates through us. And that leads to our last point in Mark chapter 16. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus gives a a very important message to the apostles. He says, go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And the key word I want to reflect on is the word go. Jesus says, go out into the world. And this reminds me of a very important message from our Holy Father, Pope Francis, that when Pope Francis talks about the need for evangelization, especially in our parishes, but you can apply this to your Catholic school, you can apply this to your own home or whatever Catholic group you might be involved with. Listen to what Pope Francis says. He he calls us to be an open door church. We need to have our doors open. And when I first heard him talking about this in the first year of his pontificate, I remember thinking, wow, isn't that special? Pope Francis wants us to be more hospitable. We're supposed to open the doors of our churches to welcome people in, people of all different backgrounds and perspectives, and we're going to be more welcoming, and we'll set up hospitality committees, and we'll we'll be a welcoming church. And indeed, we need to be better, don't we, at hospitality and welcoming people in? But I want you to know that's not what Pope Francis is talking about when he talks about an open-door church. Absolutely, let's be more hospitable Let's welcome people in But when he talks about the open door church What he means is this He wants the doors open Not simply to let more people in He wants the doors open so that we go out he wants us to come out of our churches, out of our schools, out of the pews and our, our parishes to go out to the world and bring the love of Jesus to all of those on the peripheries, to the people who are suffering in this world, to the poor, to people who we may disagree with, that have different perspectives. We're called to love all people. This is what Jesus modeled for us, didn't he? Think about this. When Jesus went and did his public ministry, he practiced this go out into the world, Message. His gospel was not a come to me gospel. In other words, he didn't just stand up in the synagogue in Nazareth and say, All right, everyone, come meet me here on Wednesday night at seven o'clock. I'm going to give a nice talk on how to pray. (laughs) That's not what Jesus did. No, Jesus went out to the people. He didn't go hand out flyers and say, Hey, go meet me Thursday at noon on that mountain. I'm going to give a great sermon. That's not what he did. He didn't invite people to come to him. He went out to people. And met them where they were at. Yes, there were certain times where he, of course, did invite people. Come follow me, indeed. But the emphasis was on going out. Think about Just read the Gospels. He goes out to the poor. He doesn't wait for the poor to come to him. He goes and seeks them out. He seeks the suffering. He, he goes out and has meals with the tax collectors, with the sinners. He's going out to the drunkards, to the prostitutes. He doesn't wait passively for them to come to him. He goes out to them. That's what Jesus is telling us to do in Matthew 16, verse 15. Go out to the world. That was the message to the first apostles. That's the message to us today. That's the message that he embodied, that he exemplified for us in his own public ministry. And so maybe as an examination of your own life, ask yourself, do you wait passively for people to come to you? And then maybe you'll answer questions about the Catholic faith or, you know, if somebody asks you for help in life, you'll, you'll give them some help. Or do you actively go out? Do you go out and seek to help other people? You take the initiative to serve others. I think this is important just for, for all of our lives, whatever state of life we may end, You know, Just first and foremost, as Mother Teresa often said, we're called to live this gospel message in our own homes. Ask yourself, do you wait if you're married for example do you wait to like help your spouse when they need help or do you actually Are you thoughtful, anticipating their needs? How can you be helpful for them today? Uh, Do you think about what you can do to serve your children more? Do you think about the people in your classroom? If you're a high school teacher or if you're working in a parish, you volunteer and you lead a Bible study, do you think about how can I better serve the people that God has entrusted me in this little ministry? Or do you passively wait for them to come to you? Jesus challenges us to go out. Pope Francis calls us to the open door church to go out, and I'm going to close with a beautiful prayer here. They're going to paraphrase a line from, I love this prayer. Uh, It comes from the missionaries of charity, Mother Teresa's order. Uh, You know, they go out into the streets and serve the poorest of the poor throughout the world. But their work of serving the poor all begins in their prayer life. They, they, they pray every day. They have mass every morning before they go out. And they say this beautiful little prayer that challenges us to go out as well. Uh, it's a prayer that they derive from Blessed John Henry Newman. It's called Radiating Christ. You can go online and just type in that prayer, Radiating Christ. You'll probably find it there. Um, but, uh, but the prayer is this. Uh, Jesus, may every person I come in contact with look up and see no longer me, but you shining through me. I love that prayer. I'm going to put this in the, in the episode notes as well uh, so you can see this prayer there. Jesus, may every person I come in contact with look up and see no longer me, but you, Jesus, shining through me. Isn't that what we want? Most of all, I, you know, I want whether it's for the people right in closest to me, my own friends, my own spouse, my own children, I want them to look up and see not just me, but to see Jesus radiating through me. I want the people I serve, the people who read my books, the people I teach in the classroom, the people I do ministry with, I want them to come in contact with Christ. And this gets to the heart of what this whole season is about as we are closing out the Easter season. Will the resurrected Jesus who conquered sin and death, the resurrected Jesus who sits now as he's ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, will he radiate through me that Jesus who rose from the dead, who sits as the ascended son of God at the right hand of the father, that Jesus sent his spirit on Pentecost Sunday into the hearts, of the apostles, and that spirit of Jesus is in our hearts. Let's let that spirit of love and compassion and mercy uh, come out and touch the people around us every day. May every person we come in contact with look up and see no longer me, but Jesus shining through me. So my friends, I hope this podcast has been helpful for you. I want to give a shout out to the many school teachers in the Diocese of Parramatta in Australia, who I'm going to be visiting with later in July. I know that they're listening to this uh, podcast, some of them, for their own formation. And may God bless you. I'm looking forward to being with you in July. And if you like this podcast, please share it with other people. And if you have any questions, you can contact me through Facebook or Twitter, or you can reach me on my website, edwardsree.com. God bless.